Well, this is it, and here we go with another great edition of Inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Subalero, coming back to you for year 10. That's right, this is year 10 of the Inside EMS podcast. Happy to be with you. And you can see if you're watching us on video, we've been doing video the last few shows. Here he is, my good friend, the man of the hour, too sweet to be sour. The ladies know he's the man with the power, Kelly Grayson KG. What's going on in world famous Pitkin, Louisiana? You got some nice digs there in Pitkin, Louisiana. Uh, that's that's my hobbit hole background because uh, there's so much laundry piled on the uh, on the futon in my office that uh, it's embarrassing. So I have my hobbit hole background. Um, well, very cool. We were hoping to get the beanbag chair with the shine buck, and we still haven't worked that and the thing. Cheetos, out. yeah, yeah. We need the Cheetos too. So now um, that we're now that we're live and doing video, man, you're gonna have to start to uh, step up for the audience there a little bit. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do some house cleaning. It's just I've been so so worn out and tired and and stuff with uh. Uh, and press for time. I have I have one area of the house that I don't clean regularly, and unfortunately, that's my office, and that's where I stuff everything. Yeah. So if I have I have a uh, laundry that I, I don't want to fold and put away, or if I have a, a box from Amazon that I need to open and and uh, and get out and and break down the box, it all goes in the office, so it's become a bit cluttered. Yeah, well, one of the uh, things that I do is I've used my second bedroom now. It's my daughter's room. She doesn't come very mm-hmm. often, but I've used this. So I've got a sliver of the bedroom for my clean T-shirts of her yeah. bed, a sliver of the bed for my clean uh, pants, sliver of the bed for my clean uh, uh, underwear and socks. So I don't put them away anymore. I just kind of file them. And then yeah, I just go that's in and exactly take. exactly what that's I right. do. I take, now I do fold them over and make sure the T-shirts don't get and the fold the pants over, but I just yeah. don't put them away. Right. So, so I got a little, I got a filing system on my daughter's bed of where my clothes go. And I think it works out well, man. So, uh, you know, what can you do? But, uh, you know, so today we continue on the literary tour of uh, Stephen Kelly Grayson. And uh, you are now being seen again in another book, but Mm -hmm. not broken, hope and healing book two. And this really is talking about PTSD. I think that there's a lot of things, Kelly, that's been happening over the past few weeks where we've been dealing with, you know, uh, uh, EMS uh, people getting, you know, indicted and, you know, murder and all this stuff we're talking about. It it brings us back to PTSD. It brings us back to resilience. It brings us back to, you know, the, the, the premise of how do we take care of ourselves? And you wrote chapter 15, Gravestones. You were nice enough to send me the book this morning. I read about four of the chapters. It's, It's about 15 or so authors that kind of shared their own story. Uh, And yours is uh, something that I read with great uh, entertainment. I mean, you use your tongue prettier than, well, we know the, we know the (laughs) line from, from, uh, from, uh, if you haven't seen blazing saddles, but anyway, we won't go there. Because My mind is a a raging torrent of rivulets of thought cascading into a waterfall of creative alternatives. And you need to get out more. You're, you're quoting too many movies, but, (laughs) but anyway, I think it's interesting. And I think it's good really to talk about resilience. I do want to talk about the stories because I think we all have those stories to where, you know, we had a bad call and we really kind of questioned our medicine to say, did we do harm here? Yeah. Uh, But first off, tell us a little bit about this book. How'd you get involved with it? What does it mean? And and share with the listeners. I I belong to a a little author community uh, in Texas uh, uh, called the Northeast Texas Troublemakers uh, or the North Texas Troublemakers. And and it's kind of a, 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 artist colony. Um, I'm the honorary Louisiana member, but uh, it's kind of an artist colony of, of writers and, and uh, 
uh, and that sort of thing. And, and we all kind of share similar interests. And this book is uh, is compiled by um, Cedar Sanderson, who is a quite a talented illustrator. She did the cover of uh, my Kindred novel. And uh, uh, it's a bit of a labor of love for her uh, about PTSD. Uh, she's a sufferer. Other loved ones are sufferers. Um, and uh, she she put out a call for for authors for this anthology. Uh, this is the second book in the series of Messages of Hope and Healing. Uh, the first was uh, You Can't Go Home Again, and it was it was pretty heavily weighted toward uh, uh, you know the the toll that public safety and and public service and and military service in particular uh, take on on the people who who provide those things um, and. Uh, this book, uh, but not broken, was was meant to be a uh, um, a hopeful message. Uh, stories of hope and healing with with uh, PTSD stories with a with a hopeful ending. Um, and uh, I I had the perfect thing for it. Um, you now, being a PTSD sufferer myself, uh, it was uh, it was easy to uh, to write that stuff. It, now the words came easily, uh, the emotions it conjured not so much. So. Uh, I, I kind of did what Hemingway said. I sat at the typewriter and bled for a little while. And, uh, and that's, that's what gravestones became. You know, and bled is what you did. I mean, when you talk about this story, and I do want to get into the story a little bit, because I think we mm-hmm. all have these stories to where we question again, yeah. did we do harm to our patients? But when we start to think about this, one of the things that I gathered as I read the other people's stories, and then eventually got to your story was do we have to start to think about journaling these things? Do we have to start to think about writing these things, even if we're not going to publish them, Kelly? I mean, we keep these things buried inside of us like they're, you know, like they're war wounds, right? Which they are, pardon me. And, but now as I was reading this, I was almost feeling a little bit of relief for myself to say, you know what? I'm not the only one that has this feeling, yeah. right? Because yeah. I have a I have a call that I just totally screwed up, and I do want to talk about that with you. But there's got to be value in this for everybody, even if you're not going to publish them. Yeah, and and that that's you know uh, one of the 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 cool things about this book is is this book has perspectives from all of life. Uh, it's not just military and public service and public safety uh, people and and EMS people. Uh, um, all of us can suffer from PTSD. Um, you know, as the saying goes, it's not what's what's wrong with you; it's what's happened to you. Uh, and everybody has obstacles and, and whatnot in their life, and 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 uh, traumatic experiences that kind of shape who you are. Uh, and if if you don't let if you if you let them, they will shape who you are. Um, but they will certainly mold your your. Um, your coping mechanisms and, and sometimes into harmful coping mechanisms. I know that my, uh, my PTSD did not come from EMS. Uh, it came from growing up in my house. Uh, we were, um, uh, it wasn't abusive per se, uh, but there was a whole lot of fighting, uh, in my childhood and, and that sort of thing. And it wasn't until I started, uh, speaking to a professional counselor that I realized what, you know, what triggers my PTSD and it's being in a conflict where I see no resolution from it. Um, and if I'm in a fight, uh, and, uh, I can't extricate myself from it. Um, my, my, uh, reaction is to go nuclear and, and my, my instinct has always been win the fight on the first blow. Uh, 
And, and luckily, most of those times, those uh, I'm in a, a setting where those blows are verbal and I don't punch somebody or stomp them to death. But it's a, uh, you know, that's not a healthy way to live. And that's not that's a healthy not, way to to live with, with a, a girlfriend or fiance or wife or, or loved one in any way where no. you can't have healthy conflict because you fear conflict so much. And that's what it is for me. And, and, you know, I, I'd like to, to, you probably read Cat uh, Cat Hell's story. Um, and, and Cat is quite an accomplished woman. She is, I mean, this woman kicks so much ass, they import cheap foreign ass to meet the demand. Um, and she's, she's an accomplished hunter and, and writer and, and wrote a book called Handgun Hunting. Uh, but she suffered from, you know, through an abusive relationship and that kind of molded her, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> coping mechanisms into, uh, and set her down a path that just where that cycle repeated itself and she was right, able right. to break out. And I think that, that that's the big message of this book is that, um, it can be beaten. You can beat it back. You can develop healthier mechanisms. Uh, there is hope. Uh, and there's light at the end of the tunnel and it's not the train coming. It's, yeah. it's uh salvation. Well, I mean, sometimes it is the train. You just got to get out of the way. Right. Yeah. But I think that one uh, of the things that you got to remember too, is this is where your emotional intelligence comes in. So exactly. no one can make you feel something you choose not to feel. And I, I, we've talked about that and, and my ability, I can't handle what's happening around me, but what I can handle is how I react to it. But yeah. one of the things that I think we're taught, and one of the things that I think that you say in your growing up, and I think we all have have it a little bit, is we don't want to be bullied. We don't want to be pushed around. No. You know, we want to be able to defend ourselves. But in the absence of that, that doesn't mean it's weakness, right? Yeah. It means that we have the ability to control our own emotions. But you know, it was really and because we and because we fear <clears throat> those sort of things. Sometimes we see something as bullying or confrontation when it's really not, because yeah. we're always on that 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 hair trigger. Yeah, that's a good point. But I want to talk a little bit about this chapter you did. Chapter 15 in the book, Mm -hmm. But Not Broken, Hope and Healing, book two is called Gravestones. And, you know, you start off and you really kind of pull people really into this chapter. And I'm really kind of wondering, what the heck are you talking about? And you keep going and you keep going. And then, you know, it really just kind of lays out. But you talk about a call where, um, you know, you talk about your gravestones and it's and you're you're using this in the character of the gravestones are your calls that you're filling up in your cemetery of yeah. PTSD, yeah. which I thought was really kind of novel. And, you know, you kind of take us down, you know, that people are going to die and we're going to see things. But you take us down the story of uh, a gentleman who you call Frankie Maryland. And, you know, you kind of knew the guy. He was a great guy. Everybody kind of knew them in the town. And now he is in the process of a traumatic arrest. And you have to take care of this. And and you have to take care of this gentleman. But nothing is going right. You're doing everything you're supposed to do. But it's not going the way that it's supposed to go. And it led you down a path of now saying, oh, my God, did I kill him? And and you hang on to this. But maybe just give us a little bit. We don't have the time to go into this this very, very deep. But give us just a little bit of overview of of the call of Frankie Maryland and and what it meant to you. Well, you know, first, I didn't do everything right. I did the most important thing wrong at the very beginning of the call. I didn't take a good report. I didn't do a good assessment. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. 
uh, and I should have either refused the transport or asked that someone else come along with me uh, as an extra set of hands. But I was now, too young I do wanna, and cocky. I, I do want to add, though, this this is you say your fourth call as a paramedic. Yeah, my fourth call is a paramedic. Yeah. But I was one of those, you know, there's two types of paramedics. There's the ones that are scared of their own shadow and the ones that think they're Superman. And I thought I was Superman. Still do to a certain extent. But um, I just wasn't prepared. And um, it's my firm belief that at least in EMS, uh, the the horrible things we see aren't the really the things that, that cause the PTSD. They may be for some. Um but we are our own worst critics, and the the things that really stick with us, the the stones in our personal psych, psychic graveyard, are the patients we think we failed because we we blame ourselves for the outcome because of something we thought we could have did better. I call it the coulda, woulda, shoulda. The the if onlys will kick your butt, and I played the with onlys game and. Uh, you know, long story short, uh, despite my efforts or in, uh, probably as a cascade of events that began with my lack of effort, uh, Frankie died. And as I was walking out of the hospital, his aunt was standing in the ambulance space smoking a cigarette. And uh, <laughs> um, as I walked past her and tried to to sneak past her, really, um, she put her hand on my arm and I just... I froze like a, like a deer in the headlights and she turned me around and she pulled my head down to hers and, um, hugged me and whispered in my ear. She said, thank you for everything you did. I know you did your best to save him. Whew. Um, shame will never burn you so hot as when a family member tells you thanks for killing their loved one. And, uh, I, uh, that shook me, that shook me to the core. Um, I still can't talk about it today without getting emotional. Um, I went back to the ambulance station, stripped off my bloody clothes and the pile on the floor, turned on the hot water and shower and just crawled in and cried myself to sleep. And I woke up the next morning wondering, you know, do I really have the, what it takes to succeed in EMS and, and to be good at this job? And, and uh, that was my epiphany. Uh, and what helped uh, that that blow to my confidence and my arrogance uh, is what made me, uh, in most extent, uh, the paramedic I am, because I, I decided that day uh, to be uh, equal to my ego, uh, to to enhance my skills and knowledge uh, where I could walk the walk. Um, and I've I've made that my my North Star ever since. And. Um, the, but the other thing I've discovered along the way is, is I used to have nightmares about Frankie Maryland. Uh, I had nightmares frequently about I wake up trying to suction that kid and him aspirating, drowning on his own blood. And me can't see the airway trying to tube him and, and his heart rate and, and going ever lower. Uh, and I just wake up in cold sweats about that. But, you know, when I quit having those nightmares, when I started talking about it. Yeah. I stood up at an EMS conference and and I I broke down in tears uh, in a keynote speech telling about this um, and how I moved on and got past it. Um, and I discovered along the way that talking about it made it go away. And and uh, I still, you know, it upsets me and, and I still blame myself to a certain extent, but sure. but it doesn't haunt me anymore. 
And that's the that's the thing I discovered is that uh, you can learn to forgive yourself and you can learn healthier coping mechanisms uh, and, and you can uh, you can make friends with all those ghosts in your personal graveyard. And that's my that's the way I look at it um, uh, with the help of some some good people and uh, a support system. Um, I was able to make friends with the ghost. You know, I think that <clears throat> I think that we all have those calls and I want to say good on you, man, that you're you have the opportunity to share yeah. this and really kind of think about the fact now that, you know, you are really doing the things that you've got to do to make a difference in your life to, um, you know, really kind of feel these and kind of teach the skills that will allow people to know that it's OK to talk about it. It's OK yeah. to get emotional and, you know, have to hold your hand up and say, give me a second. Right. Just as you did. Yeah. You know, here's the here's the the powerful Kelly Grayson. Oh, my God, ladies and gentlemen, he's human. Right. <laughs> and I yeah. think that we've got to remember that we make mistakes. You know, we fail. Um, you know, we're going to feel. Um, and I think that these are things that we're not taught how to do. You know, when it comes to making a mistake, we're taught, oh, my God, you can't make mistakes. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God, you can't. And, you know, I have one of these calls as well. And I, I try to deal a little bit differently with the emotion of the call. And I used to say for years, you know, I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to get them to the hospital. I'm going to be as compassionate as I can be. When I get to the hospital and close the doors, my job is is over. I don't want to go and ask about them. I don't want to find out how they did. I don't want to. I'm done, right? And I how did that work out for you? You know, it worked for me. No, it worked for me, right? Yeah. Because I did everything that I could, and then I had to disassociate myself. But I have those calls that I've been able to hang on to that have woke me up in the middle of the night. Yeah. One was a 16-year-old girl. Um, you know, you walk in the house and you go up the stairs and then there's a, you know, there's a walkway, uh, that goes into the bedrooms. And I walked in with a 16 year old girl, girl swinging from that, you know, that balcony, you know, and I still see her every now and again in her feet and her dress swinging back and forth because her 30 year old boyfriend or whatever it was broke up with her and what a waste. Right. And, but yeah. I had one of the calls of, it was a pediatric arrest one morning. It was the first call of the day. You got to love when you get the pediatric arrests in the first call, the first shot out of the box. And uh, I had trouble intubating regardless of how you prepare to intubate a pediatric patient and infant. Yeah. It is never, it never prepares you for how small that airway is. Yeah. So it took me forever to get the tube. I finally got the tube. Then I finally got the IV uh, this is when we were doing IVs in, in pediatrics. And I did the cardinal rule, Kelly, of being in the back of the ambulance. And I stepped over the patient. And what did I do? Jerked I out your IV. Picked out the IV. <laughs> now, all of a sudden, I didn't notice it right away. And now fluid is everywhere. Now I've got a, uh, you know, now I've got to uh, uh, defibrillate the patient. And I've got water everywhere. So yeah. then when I finally got that worked out, then I went back to the head. And I took over from my partner. We didn't have fire. So we're going and now all of a sudden I'm bagging. I'm trying to wrap the tube with the tape. I never use the tube tamers. I always use the tape, cut the tape, blah, blah, blah. Old school. Old and then school. all of a sudden I hit a bump and boom, I, I drove that tube down into the freaking stomach. And then the next thing I did is I went to pull it out. What happened when I pulled it back? Boom, pulled it all the way I hit out. a bump and I pulled it all the way out. Right. Well, the kid died, you know, yeah. and, and you know, the kid was probably uh, going to die uh, regardless um, we were working the code and, but you know what? Me and my partner felt like crap the whole day. And, you know, the last call of the day was a pediatric arrest as well. Oh, yeah. And we tried to make amends, but we hang on to these things. And I held on to this for months and months and months of my failure to be, I don't know, adequate enough. 
that I made these mistakes and did things that I knew I shouldn't have done. We know we shouldn't step over patients, right? We know we shouldn't jostle the tube when we're bouncing up and down. I should have told my partner to pull over so I could have managed. But, you know, you've got to be able now to find ways, as you say, to make friends with these ghosts. But man, uh, I do want to ask you this. So I, I, I know you could probably pontificate on, on what I was saying, but I do want to change it a little bit as we're getting up there in time. I want to ask you, because you've now done a few of these. You've done this, but not broken, Hope and Healing, book two. You've done Perspectives, volume one. You've done Perspectives, volume two. And if you've not heard about Perspectives, this is a book on uh, the paramedic, the ER nurse, and the officer, their view about the same call. But I, I I do want you to get you to give some of your expertise in the writing of this to get your feelings out. Um, maybe you can't, maybe people can talk about it. Kelly, you said when you started to talk about it, they went away. Maybe people can talk about it, but maybe they can journal. Maybe they can write. What tips do you give them? Um, be honest and open, be honest and open and don't be your own critic. Uh, we are our own worst critics and, and people, you know, nothing makes me happier than say, Kelly, you know, a, 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 lecture you gave or a story you wrote or or something in in your book inspired me to to do this or do that um and, and to face my own demons um or i never thought i could write uh, the people that wrote perspectives um you know i sent out a call to people that didn't think they had talent and they discovered they did you know it, i took a little structural editing uh the people uh, most EMS people are not natural storytellers unless they're saying, so there I was, you know, first in on the busload of hemophiliac Jehovah's Witnesses that crashed into the glass factory. Um, but but they don't know how to structure a story. So their their writing craft is not polished, uh, but their heart is, is there. And if they can put their heart into it, which they did in spades, uh, you've got a great story there. And, and catharsis uh, is important. And uh, and writing about it, journaling about it, telling someone else about it is important. The the part of the theme in my book was in my story was, you know, the the opposition of your manhood versus your humanity. And, uh, you know, as a stoic, do you do you let those things show? And my concept of what being a man was, was you don't let those things show when you you suffer in silence. Uh, And that's not healthy. Uh, it may work for some people, but it was not healthy healthy for me. And and finding a place where I could coexist, where feeling something uh, and being strong at the same time were not mutually incompatible. Um, so uh, finding that place uh, really helped me a lot. And and one of the things that helped me get to that place was talking about it, uh, or alternative form, putting it down on paper. You know, one of the one of the most uh, popular EMS blogs back in the day, which is Justin Shore's uh, blog, The Happy Medic. Uh, and The Happy Medic came about as as a uh, uh, suggestion from his counselor, a PTSD counselor. He, he had a bad call where he was, uh, I believe, almost crushed in a structural collapse and off work for quite some time and having to deal with the emotional, physical trauma of that and, and the, the frustration of not being able to get back on the job. Right. His 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 therapist said, why don't you journal? So he started a blog and it was a great blog, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, through my my interaction with Justin, we were able to start a great charity 
um, you know, the kills it to get cancer. So great things can happen if you open yourself up uh, and you're brave and you, you, you put yourself out there because what you're going to find is that people are not going to look at you like you're weak. They're not going to go, oh, man, you just don't need to be in this profession. What you're going to find is many thousands of people uh, will reach out to you and say, been there, felt the same thing. I'm glad you had the guts to say it. And now now that you have, I have the guts to say it. Uh, and I think that is probably one of the best healing mechanisms uh, I can I can cultivate is knowing that I'm not alone and that there is uh, help and healing at the end. So, but hey, that's what I think. We'd like to hear what you think. We'd like you to buy the book, But Not Broken, Messages of Help and Healing, uh, Volume 2. Um, but for myself and co-host Chris Savalero, we're urging you guys to take care of yourself, cultivate a good support system, and don't don't hurt yourself and, and put yourself uh, as blame for things that go wrong. Uh, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.